Last week, we were talking about how the Apostle Paul was, uh, you know, him and the rest of the missionaries, they were going on this second journey, the second missionary journey. And what ended up taking place is that uh, God intervened because what they thought, they, they had it all figured out in the direction they were going. The Lord stepped in and changed that direction. So the direction that they went into was to Macedonia. Now, this journey begins in, in European soil here. So they're going into Macedonia, and what the Apostle Paul thought was going to go one way, God changed it the other way. We talked about how God guides us in different directions. And so uh, the area that they're going to end up landing at is Philippi. So this is what the word of the Lord says as I begin in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Symmetras, and the following day to Neopolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyria and a, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her house and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very day. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. Now, verse 25. I know it's a long passage, but... These are three very important pieces that have come together. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoner 
believers were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul in silence. Verse 30, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he baptized at once, and he, and he was baptized as once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set foot sent food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly and uncondemned, uncondemned, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers and, and encouraged them, they departed. And praise God for his word. So now there are three, three complete parts of what's going on there. Luke captures three different stories that are taking place here. Each one of these stories are very important because this is the second missionary journey that they're going into. And in the second missionary journey, I'm sure there was a lot of people that came to the faith. But Luke captures these three specific situations. From the first one, we're going to learn how God, God's power is displayed. And the first way that it's displayed is that he opens up hearts. What we're going to see here is that Lydia, a little bit about Lydia here. Lydia is a person who is a seller of purple goods. She's also from a city that's nearby. But as a woman who is a seller of purple goods, this must mean that she was a wealthy woman. A wealthy woman who stood there. Purple goods were expensive because they were associated with royalty. Now, 
Another thing is that she hosted the, the missionaries at her house. So in order for her to do that, she must have had the means to provide because we know when people come over to the house and we put out a little food, we got to, you know, scrape a little food here and there, especially after turkey, right? We're going to have a lot of leftovers, but you got to have some kind of means, right? And you're going to feed the people that you're inviting to come over. So for Lydia to do that, she must have been a woman that, that had money. But another thing, she we know that she was a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. She ran her own business. But we know that success and wealth is not enough. She was searching for more. A reminder to us that no amount of wealth or success can truly satisfy the cravings of our soul. Any pursuit of wealth or success as an end in itself will only leave you thirsty for more. Now notice something in this passage. As Paul is arriving here with the rest of the missionaries, he sits down with them and it says that she was a worshiper of God. Now, when it says that she's a worshiper of God, it doesn't mean that she was a Christian. It doesn't mean that she was a worshiper of Jesus Christ. It says that she was a worshiper of God. This is no different than Cornelius. The Bible says that Cornelius was also a, a, a man who feared God, a worshiper of God. But what this is saying then, that she must have learned about the God of the Jews. She was seeking out God. She must, have been, she must have been trying to live like the Jews, uh, adapting to the customs of the Jews. She must have become a religious person. But what happens next? With the amazing grace of God comes and meets Lydia. Look at what the passage says in verse 14. It says, One who hurt us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyria, a seller of goods who was a worshiper of God. What happens next? It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Now, this is to show the powerful working of God. Not the powerful working of Paul, but of God. What do we learn from this? It was not Paul's effective way of preaching the gospel that won her over. It was not Paul's skills or techniques or his persuasive words that won her over to Christ. You see, Paul doesn't have no power to change, and neither do we. Lydia did not open up her own heart and invite Jesus in. Follow with me. We can't do that. We have no power in ourselves to open the doors of our hearts and ask Jesus into our hearts. We can't do that. The text shows us who does that. It is God who opens our hearts, giving us understanding to what is being said. So this should come as an encouragement to us. 
Because you cannot save your brother or your sister. You cannot save your mom or your dad. You cannot save them. But God can save them. It is God who opens our hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, we see something taking place here. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not proclaim, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except who? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not impossible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What we see here then, family, is that God is displaying his power in the heart of Lydia. He used the Apostle Paul, but it wasn't because of Paul that Lydia came to the faith. It was because of a God that we serve who resurrects the dead that Lydia came to the faith. Lydia finally saw the Messiah. Lydia's life was transformed. Her eyes were opened up. Her eyes of faith were opened up and she got to behold the King of Glory. She got to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was when God opened her heart. So what must we do? We must continue to pray that God would open up the hearts of our children, our relatives, that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know that Lydia's life was radically transformed. That she went from just being a worshiper of God to finally finding the true God. The Lord Jesus Christ who came to redeem. Look at what verse 15 says. And after that, she was baptized. Baptism will always follow through after our profession of faith. Once we come to faith, we profess Jesus Christ as being Lord and Savior. What follows after that is baptism. So we see then that she gets baptized, but not only her, but her household as well. So she must have been so excited to share Jesus Christ with the rest of her household. And they also get baptized. What a transformation takes place. But now look at what happens next. After her household gets baptized, what does she do? She urged us, and said she urged the same, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. You see, once the Lord opened up her heart, she began to open up her home to the rest of the believers. What we see here is hospitality taking place. She wouldn't even invite other people into her home. Her house became 
a place where ministry takes place. Lydia shared what she had at home with the rest of the disciples. Now, another thing that we learn about her is that word earth, that word earth actually is saying that she was persistent. But not only was she persistent, it's saying that she besieged them. She urged them, but with strong force. This tells you a little bit something about her character. She must have been a strong woman with influence. Not somebody that was kind of timid or taken back, but somebody that was bold and, and was able to confront and was able to deal with something. She went up to the apostles and to the disciples and said, hey, I tell you what, you saw that, that my profession was true. Now come over to our, to our house. Come to our house. Come to my house. You know what? I will feed you. You can stay there. I want to be able to bless you. I want to be able to serve you. Look at what grace is doing in a person's heart. Instead of being closed, they, they were more open. This is what grace begins to do in us. Instead of kind of pulling back, she was pulling forward. And so what we see then, the grace of God working in Lydia's life. But now look at what happens next in verse 16. It says that as they were going, they were going to a place of prayer. And look who they're confronted with, a slave girl. Now, Luke records this next encounter with a slave girl who was possessed. This is two drastic opposite uh, people, right? You have Lydia, a worshiper of God, and now you have a slave girl who was Possessed. Two diverse people, two diverse backgrounds, two diverse upbringings. But what we're seeing is that Luke is capturing this to demonstrate the kingdom work that is taking place. Both Jews and Gentiles are coming together, and now Gentiles are coming from all kinds of broken paths. It doesn't matter where you've been at or who you've been around. When God gets a hold of you, he radically transforms your life and brings you in. Now, the slave girl. It says that the slave girl who had a spirit of divination and who brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, a little bit of a historical background to this is that the spirit... For her to be known uh, as a person who had the spirit of divination and a fortune teller, it literally means the spirit of Python. Now, according to mythology, the Python guarded the temple of Apollo. And after some time, it came to mean that you were a demon-possessed person through whom the Python was speak through. So you were known as a Pythoness. And this Pythoness then would utter words in all sorts of strange voices, and she would tell the future. So she was making money for her owners, because a lot of people wanted to know their future. Now, the Bible says that she made them a lot of money. But, you know, as I, I was reading through that, it's no different than today. You have a lot of those places here in the neighborhood. 
Or there's people who do fortune telling or tarot card reading. They're still looking for ways to, to get some kind of information about the future. Looking to or relying on or anything like this would be like witchcraft. People are, are, are looking to, and there are people who are demonic to possess. And, and, and they're looking to their future. They're, they're trying to find out what's going to happen next. But a lot of this comes because there's a lack of trust in a sovereign God. It's hard to trust in God with your life, with your future. So this will automatically open up doors in our hearts to all kind of worldly remedies that would try to ease our anxious hearts. Trying to find security or hope in this fallen world instead of a God who rescues and redeems. But now, as Paul is walking through with the rest of the missionaries, look at what's taking place. It says that she began to cry out, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they are proclaiming the way of salvation. I was like, man, she's speaking truth. <laughs> Look at that. She is identifying who Paul and the rest of the missionaries are, that they are servants of the Most High God. And not only that, she's saying, they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Like, man, praise God, right? But look at what Paul does. It says that Paul got greatly annoyed. He was pretty upset. I mean, you would think that Paul would be like, oh, cool, keep preaching that. But no, he didn't. There's a reason why he got greatly annoyed. People can begin to identify her and what she was teaching before with what Paul and the missionaries were presently preaching. And if they identify as the same, then no longer is Paul preaching Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, but another way of salvation. You see, Jesus is the only way of salvation. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way unto God but through Jesus Christ. So Paul had to make sure of this. There's no other way that man can be saved but through Jesus. And so what Paul then does, he turns around and he looks at her and he commands that spirit. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out. And it says at that very moment, it came out of her. You see, finally, darkness was confronted with light. And what we see, that light will always overcome the darkness. That at the name of Jesus Christ, man, when, when, when we begin to think about this, that at the name of Jesus, the Bible says that the demons tremble. There is power in the name of Jesus. Because it is through Jesus by which man can be saved. It is the name of Jesus who liberates the oppressed. It is the name of Jesus who sets the captives free. No other name but the name of Jesus. And finally, this slave girl came, came and she was confronted with Jesus. 
I'm going to read this passage to you real quick out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ. You and I, before we came to faith, we were blind. We were spiritually blind and we could not see the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Jesus Christ. Now follow with me. Who is the image of God? Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The moment the Apostle Paul spoke the name of Jesus Christ to this girl that was enslaved, it is through the glory of Jesus Christ, the light of the gospel began to shine in her darkness. And she was liberated. This is what you would call an exorcism that took place here. She was demonically possessed, but she was liberated. No evil has power over God. Evil cannot overcome God. Uh, you know, these movies that they try to put, you know, there's an equal balance between good and evil. No, 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 no. God is all sovereign. He is all powerful. Satan is God's puppet. Satan has no power whatsoever. Satan has to have permission from God to touch one of us. Be reminded of that, family. Be reminded of that. The name of Jesus. And so what happens after that is that She's finally confronted with Jesus. She's liberated by Jesus. But now her owners, they weren't going to be okay with this. Look at what happens next. And her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. So they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. But they didn't drag them because they were going to praise what they did. They wanted to accuse them so that they can get beaten. They got angry. They got so angry that they grabbed them and they dragged them. Why would they get so angry? I mean, she was demonically possessed. Wouldn't you be happy? You see, some people are not happy. Like, they, they prefer you to still be enslaved, to still be addicted. You know, you have more friends when you were all in the world because now that you're saved and you're following Jesus, they chuck the deuce on you, right? <laughs> like, they don't want to have nothing to do with you. And we see this here. They, they got upset. They got upset. But why were they so upset? Because their idol was destroyed. The, uh, another way then that we see God demonstrating his power is that he would destroy the idols in our hearts. Amen? 
And praise God for that. But some of us might act like they did. When the gospel confronts the idols in our hearts, are we normally happy about it? Do we rejoice like, yeah, Lord, take it away? Or do we normally respond like they did? Angry and frustrated like, God, why do I have to let go of that? I'll let go of this, but why this? Normally we struggle like that, right? So what is it today that you are looking to to find value and significance that God is telling you, you, never, you need to let go of that? You need to let go of that. There's, there cannot be two lords in your life. There cannot, you cannot serve two masters in your life. You will either serve one and be unfaithful to the other, love one and hate the other, but you cannot have two. What is God calling us to let go of today? What have we been looking to to build our hope in? What have we been looking to to find worth and identity? Is it the opinion of man? Is it the success that we're trying to strive after? The recognition that we get to the top? What is it that we're looking to that today God is challenging us? The Lord is exposing that in us. That we continue to flirt with it like we tell God that we love Him. What is it that we're playing with fire? Sooner or later we'll get burned, right? So today, what is God calling you to let go of? Because God is a faithful God. Jesus will uproot that idol and he will crush it. He will show you that that idol has no power to deliver, no power to save, no power to comfort you, no power to be there for you day in and day out. The world will give you all kinds of remedies, but they have no power to deliver you, family. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is truly better than anything else the world would have to offer. But look at what happens. In doing God's work, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be peaches and cream, right? When Jesus says, follow me, it's not always going to be an easy road. The Apostle Paul and the rest of the missionaries, I guarantee you that whenever Paul casted out that demon, they didn't think that it was going to create an uproar, but it did. Look at what happened. The rest of the Jews in the city, uh, they said they were disturbing our city. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as, uh, for us as Romans. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. Hey, let's follow Jesus, right? You, know, you want to be a Christian? You want to follow Jesus? But what about when you get confronted with a situation like this? Well, I don't know. It will cost us everything to follow Jesus. Follow 
Jesus is not popular. It's not like the popular thing to do, right? I mean, you easily get persecuted for following Jesus. I mean, you just say the name of Jesus and people are already upset. I mean, I remember one time being at Walmart and we were evangelizing to some people and the security came up to them and said, no, you got to leave the premises. We're like, what? We're just engaging in a conversation. No, because you're forcing your Jesus on people. We're like, whoa. Forcing our Jesus on people? No, they're, they're actually conversating with us. Well, you can talk to them, just don't say the name of Jesus. Really. At the end of the day, that's what it was all about. Don't say the name of Jesus. Why? Because people will be saved. Why well, would keep preaching Jesus then? Because this is what's going on. When you follow Jesus, it will be difficult. You will be opposed. There will be obstacles. But I tell you what happens though. That God will turn these situations around. What we see as obstacles become an opportunity for the gospel. Because look at what happens next. As they put them with the janitor, right? They put them in prison. After they, they beat them up, they inflicted them with many blows. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were crying. Were whining. Is that what it's saying? Is that what it's saying? After they got beat, after they got, man, I'm talking about beat bad, and they get thrown in prison, they didn't begin to complain and murmur. You see, a lot of times when it gets difficult in our walk, what do we begin to do? Oh, Lord, why me? It's always happening to me. Like, look at everyone else has it good, but not me. We begin to complain and murmur. I mean, Paul had every reason to be mad with God. Like, I didn't sign up for this. But like this was said, I signed up to die when I came to Jesus. And this is what we see here. He began to pray. He began to sing hymns to God. And guess who was listening? The rest of the prisoners. What seemed like a difficult situation, God was preparing for something else. We might go through difficult seasons in our life, family. We might be up, up, getting challenged in all kinds of areas. We might be in a season where it's like, man, like, it, it don't feel right. All kind of bad things are taking place. But God is still at work. Our circumstances do not limit the power of God. Not even our weaknesses limit the power of God. But Paul, he was saying, God, take this from me, this thorn that I have. But Jesus tells him, I'm not going to take it away from you. But if in your weakness, my power is perfected in you. Hallelujah. Let us boast more than about our weakness. And you know what, Lord? I'm struggling right now, but I know that you're faithful. God, I know I'm being challenged by this, but I know that you're faithful. I know that things are not going my way, but I know that you're faithful. If one thing I can stand on for sure is that your word is true. And you are faithful. And what you promise, it will come to pass. You're not like us, Lord. When we make promises, we break them. 
You're a God who keeps his promises. And so what we see then is that this prepared an opportunity for the gospel. As the rest of the people were listening to Paul and the rest of the missionaries singing worship songs, like glory, glory to the most high God, like praising the Lord, and, and, and the rest of the people were like wondering, why are they worshiping? Why is it that they're going through a difficult moment right now and they're praising God? I'm telling you that that radically impacts people. The world cannot comprehend family. That when we're going through a difficult season, but we're still clinging to hope in Jesus, they're like, why are you doing that? Can you see that, that you're going through a difficult season? But I tell you what, my God, my God is good. He is faithful. And in you doing that, look at what can begin to happen. It says in verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The shackles were broken. The bondage that there was in was broken. These shackles were broken. Follow with me in this. There are many bondages that you and I have in life. There are many things that are still captivating us. There are many things that we're still looking to that are enslaving us. And we got to keep it 100. We got to be real. We got to be truthful with the Lord. What is it that you and I are dealing with? In here we see that the shackles that held him down were broken. Them shackles figuratively can be addictions. Figuratively can be things that we're looking to for hope that at the end of the day have never came through for you. And you're still beating the same old drum. God comes to not only restore, but he comes to give you a new life. He comes to set the captives free. And so he takes what would have been a difficult situation, an uncomfortable situation, and he uses this situation to liberate the rest of the people that were in there. And look at what the jailer says. The jailer got scared. He goes, whoa, everyone was released. He was fixing to kill himself. Because if he, if the Roman people come in and saw that they all escaped, he would have been dead. He would have been tortured and he would have been dead. And he was fixing to kill himself. But look at what Paul tells him. Paul tells him, whoa, 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 hold on. Don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself when we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, and he was dead. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And look at what he says next. Sir, what must I do to be saved? I mean, you would have never thought this would take place. You never know who is listening to you. You never know. One time I was working for a company. And I went to pick up these parts, and 
and they were taking forever to get the parts that I need, right? So I'm standing in the little garage part where they had the parts. As I'm talking to one of the guys that is helping me out, again, it was taking forever. I could have gotten frustrated and just taken off. Saw the opportunity to share Jesus with this guy. The guy that I was sharing Jesus to didn't accept Jesus. He took off walking. But a little while later, there was a guy like two aisles down that was listening. He was listening to what I was telling this guy. He comes up to me and he pulls me to the side and he starts telling me how he had fallen off for a long time. And that hearing what I was saying began to warm up his heart. He always wanted to know more about God. He wanted to be restored back to God. You never know who is listening. Jesus is not something you're supposed to keep in private, family. Your Christian faith is not to be kept in private. Jesus hung publicly before everyone. He was not in private when he died. He was publicly hung before everyone to see and he died for you and me. And the least we can do is talk about our Jesus with other people. The least we can do is begin to share our faith with other people. It doesn't mean that you got to have all the answers. Because none of us do. But I tell you what, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. So what is exciting you today? Is it the turkey we ate? Or Jesus who rested? What excites your heart, that's what you're going to speak of. And so what we see here is that no matter what bondage the persons were in, Jesus came to liberate. God will set us free. And God will set the people around, around us free. But if you try to do things on your own strength, it will never happen. You will continue in slavery. But it is Jesus who will set us free. So this opposition became an opportunity for the gospel. This minor setback became a platform to make much of Jesus. What seemed like a closed door was really an open door for the gospel. So today, that's my encouragement to you all, family. God displays his power how he opens hearts. But not only does he open hearts, he crushes the idols in our hearts. Amen? Not only that, he comes to set the captives free. You and I, we are recipients of this grace. And as recipients of this grace, let us also be vessels by which God uses us to carry out his grace to others. There is hope that hope is in Jesus Christ. So no matter how thick the chains of addictions have been, no matter how thick the chains of our past have been, no matter what people have said, what does God say to you today? As that gender said, what must I do to be saved? And today, if that is a question that you're asking yourself, what must you do to be saved? 
The answer is in this. It is in Jesus Christ. He came to live the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to have died. You and I have sinned against God. We deserve his punishment. But Jesus stepped in. When we talk about love, that's love. That God demonstrated his own love for us. That while we were still yet sinners, not good people, but jacked up people, Jesus died for us. He died for us on the cross. And today, he offers us new life. And that new life is because he rose again. He rose again in victory. Death could not hold him down. That tomb could not hold our Savior back. And today, there's nothing that will hold us back. Jesus comes to set you free. Trust in him today to set you free. Trust in him today for a new heart. Trust in him today to crush whatever idols you've been struggling with. And trust in him today to set you free. Let's go before the Lord in prayer.